I'm your host, Alec Crawford, founder and CEO of Artificial Intelligence Risk, Inc., and this is AI Risk Reward, a podcast about balancing the risk and reward using AI personally, professionally, and as a large organization. We will discuss hot topics such as, will AI take my job or make it better? When I ask ChatGPT work questions, is that even safe? From an ethical perspective, is it enough for big companies to anonymize private data before using it? Probably not. I'm discussing these issues with AI experts to answer burning questions and stay ahead of the curve on AI. I'd also like to give a shout out to our podcast producer and audio engineering team at Troutman Street Audio. You can check them out on LinkedIn. Welcome, everyone, to the AI Risk Reward podcast. And our very special guest today is Rick Fine, co-founder and CEO at Phronesis AI. Welcome, Rick. Thank you, Alec. I appreciate you having me on the show. Well, it's great to have you. And, you know, I I usually start with people's careers, but you went to UCLA Film School. So brushing shoulders with Francis Ford Coppola. Was there anyone famous in your class? I had Jim Morrison's editing room. (laughs) Wow, that is so awesome. So cool. And uh, before we turn to more businessy type stuff, uh, who are some movie directors that you particularly admire? Uh, Well, certainly certainly Spielberg has done a lot of good work. Um, uh, Stanley Kubrick, uh, as I told you, we were talking earlier, I really like 2001. and you know some of the uh some of the older older ones like uh ford and so on um but uh, that's about it yeah no i i love 2001 a space odyssey i mean it's incredible how well it stands up too. even the special effects you can look at it now and go wow how long ago did they do this it's uh it's pretty incredible yeah they did a good job and uh, right after film school, you went. It looked like you went right into business after that. So tell us about that. Well, uh, I thought I was going to be the next Steven Spielberg. That proved to be a, a little bit more elusive than I anticipated. I got married immediately after uh, college, and so I had to make money. I tried to sell a screenplay for a year, and I was not able to do that. And I took a job at a, a scrapyard. And I probably quit within a few months and started my first company. And I've been building companies for over 40 years now. Oh, that's amazing. And, and what was the most important thing you learned from starting your first business? Uh, probably, uh, you know, not uh, blowing smoke up your own pants, you know. Um, you know, don't deceive yourself. I mean, if people are really interested in doing something, they'll really take the actions that demonstrate that they are indeed uh, interested. And, uh, you know, I kept learning that lesson over and over again through the various companies and the decades of having businesses. Gotcha. And and how did you manage to grow that business? Because it looks like it got pretty big. Uh, I was real good at that. Um, particularly, I've had a lot of companies. Um, I was very good at uh, upgrading materials and uh, selling the materials I was even able to buy from other dealers and creating new uh, products. And we had uh, various recycling facilities in different states. Uh, So it got to be a pretty good business. 
Awesome. Yeah, you were ahead of your time. Now people are desperately trying to figure out how to recycle more, and you've been doing it for decades. So that's super cool. Uh, and you know, you mentioned uh, that Huckleberry Finn was one of your favorite books when we were talking earlier. Why? <laughs> I just like the independence and the adventure. Yeah. I was, uh, I was considered what now they call a latchkey kid. Um, I loved my parents very much, and they loved me very much, but. I had zero supervision. Uh, <laughs> by the time I was 12 years old, I was hitchhiking from Pacific Palisades to Santa Barbara uh, in the middle of the night, which is about 150 miles away up the coast highway. Wow, super cool. Yeah, you know, Mark Twain had a pretty fascinating life. You know, he was a riverboat pilot, and then obviously during the Civil War, like both sides wanted riverboat pilots, so he kind of took off, you know, for the West and, uh, the rest right. is history. Um, yeah. yeah. So, um, so, so obviously you, uh, you started, uh, Phronesis or you're a, a, a co-founder of Phronesis and Will Spagnoli is the founder. So what's, what's the origin story of the company? Well, Will and I actually created a company that's, uh, still in business, but laying fallow, it's called sleeping donkey and sleeping donkey is a company, um, where parties come together um, with sweat equity to form enterprises or to grow businesses. So let's say one person has a building, another person has trucks, maybe someone else has a contract to move product, but it literally could be for anything you could possibly think of. And it's a way to um, list those services um, and goods or goods and services that you have in to connect with each other. And the whole point of it is that people are wanting to partner with each other, uh, either to create new businesses from start or to um, grow businesses. And I've been doing sleeping donkey type businesses my whole life. In fact, one of the agreements we just entered into is basically a sweat equity agreement. Well, Will, um, at the time of us doing this, started talking to me about AI and that he wanted to utilize AI for the contracts to facilitate the deals between the various partners. And I wasn't paying too much attention to that, didn't really care about it. Um, but he kept talking to me about AI and we started uh, Phrenicious actually trying to save energy at data centers. But we were unfortunately pretty far ahead of our time. We thought we could save them about 15% on their energy bills, which for data centers is a lot of money. And so while we were doing that, Will got bored and he, there was an online project for COVID. And he says, hey, I want to screw around with this. So he started playing around with it, and we had really, really fantastic results. And um, we took $60,000 of our own money and made our own compounds from those results. And that actually ended up facilitating our relationship that we have today with Scripps Caliber because of the results that we had on our um, COVID project. Having done that, we completely decided to abandon um, trying to save energy at data centers um, and Phrenicious became a drug discovery company. 
and that's what we've been doing the whole time which uh is over three years now wow that's super cool so what else can you tell us about will will is um wolfgang amadeus mozart the kid is an absolute genius it's a very unusual relationship i'm 65 will is 25 i'm old enough to be his grandfather um so that's entertaining every day of the week he is self-taught um he graduated as a business major from georgia tech he literally taught himself how to do all of this um and probably wrote some three hundred and fifty thousand lines of code uh for vernicious uh he's just uh out of all the partners that i have had and of all the bright people that i've been involved with in my life uh will absolutely is the finest mind that i've ever had the pleasure to work with he is truly a, a gifted person and um and also uh, a wonderful person in terms of his uh character well that's great i'm really glad that he's expanding his energy on trying to find uh, new medications that's, i think that's probably good for the world indeed and um so so just give us a little give the, give our our audience a little more understanding about exactly what does phronesis ai do and and how do you enter into partnerships with these different um you know, medical companies, basically. How does that work? Well, um, Fernicious is in the drug discovery business. Um, so for the, you know, some of your listeners that are not in the field, um, just from a layman's point of view, um, basically a disease is a protein and you want to uh, do something to stop that uh, protein from replicating and you have to uh, find a drug or a ligand to bind with the protein um, to stop its um, reproduction, to inhibit. Uh, so these are considered small molecule inhibitors um, that we find utilizing the AI programs that uh, Will has designed. So that is the thing that we're doing, which is designing de novo, and that's important. So de novo means that they can be novel structures. So to put that in some kind of context, if the sand on your local beach is the known molecules, the sand in all the beaches on all the planets in all the galaxies would be the number of possible de novo molecules. So this may be, uh, you know, things that have never been expressed before and that's very important because some of the uh, there's a few uh, serious competitors in the space and i believe only one of them uh, does de novo molecules the rest are screening uh known molecules so that's what we provide and um we recently actually uh just in the interim alec from the time that we met have made a pretty significant uh change in our strategy our initial idea was to sell licenses uh, for projects uh, for drug design so we wanted to be ubiquitous uh, democratic global and inexpensive um, and to do a cost comparison some of these competitors may charge tens of millions of dollars 
for a single project. And then they want uh, large portions of profits on the back end. So what we say is that we only charge $100,000 for a project and they own the IP. However, I have not abandoned my um, selling of licenses. Now I am uh, nonetheless concentrated on having these partnerships like the one that we have started with Temple University. So what that is, it's a partnership for six projects whereby Temple does the in vitro and in vivo testing. And this is where I come back to this wet equity aspect. So um, they put up all of the um, monies to do these, uh, these tests. And we're going to have an output from all of that. The estimated value of the output of that is about $40 million. Um, could be more, could be less. However, that's just done between us and Temple University. Um, if an investor comes in, uh, somewhere between 500000 to $2 million per project, um, we can advance the work to what is IND ready. IND ready means that you filled out your application to the FDA to pursue human clinical trials. Um, so uh, that is going to become a much more valuable thing to sell. So instead of 40 million, now maybe it's worth 100 million. To put this all into perspective, uh, you may have been reading some articles uh, lately in the Wall Street Journal, for example, uh, where some of the pharma companies are paying, uh, literally, I know uh, AbbVie just paid $3 billion for one company that had one drug. Now, they had gone through their clinical trials. So the difference or the delta between um, being IND ready, let's say at $100 million, and having successfully gone through human clinical trials can be from, let's say, 100 million to in the billions of dollars. So it's a, uh, these are big price tags for these drugs. We are able to deliver candidates extremely fast. So if someone gives us a protein disease target, uh, we can come up with candidates um, within a few days and we can do thousands and thousands of projects there's basically estimated to be about 10,000 diseases so to put a little more meat on the bone with respect to your question um my plan now is to do a multitude of deals like temple they don't have to be for six projects they could be for three projects or 50 projects whatever it may be and I'm pursuing that with um, entities that we already have relationships with, Scripps Caliber, University of Kentucky, John Hopkins University, UC Irvine, UC San Diego, et cetera. And uh, the idea is to do, um, you know, as many of these vertical, I, I should say, uh, projects with, with these various entities.
Oh, that sounds pretty pretty amazing and uh, pretty novel as well. So I, I can I can believe that Will is a genius after hearing that. That's incredible. And um, are there any regulations surrounding use of AI and and creating pharmaceuticals like this? Uh, no, I mean you know keep in mind that we we are selling whether it's us or us combined with a partner is selling the output. Uh, ultimately to a pharmaceutical company that is going to have to get uh, FDA approval before anything ever goes to market. So um, what you're really inadvertently asking is whether or not the compound was derived utilizing AI or it was derived by using old school methodology. Uh, It doesn't matter. What matters is, you know, you created a drug you tested it in a lab, you tested it in animals, and then ultimately you tested it in human clinical trials. Therefore, to answer your question, no. Ah, that's super interesting, because obviously there there are a lot of different um, regulatory authorities that are trying to think about how do you control AI, but effectively what you're saying is, we don't care whether AI created the drug or not, as long as it works. Uh, correct. Yeah, that's that sounds ab- great. That, that sounds that's great. A, that's absolutely right. Cool. And then, um, are there any? So, so aside from the work you're doing, when we think about AI in the world today, there are obviously a lot of different questions and risks and things like that. I'm I'm curious: is there a key ethical question you think needs to be addressed around AI? Um. Well, for Fernicius. Um, we will not just partner with anybody. We will not just sell a license to anybody um, because it could be used nefariously. Um, so uh, we bear that in mind. And of course, AI, you know, I mean, it's the old axiom, you know, you can use a hammer to beat someone over the head or you can use a hammer to build a house. I mean, um, you know, a lot of things in the world can be used for, uh, evil purposes and um, you know the horse is out of the barn um, it wouldn't matter Alec whether you and me decided tomorrow that we don't want to be involved in any of this um, it's going to happen anyway and um, you hope that uh, our better natures prevail um, and I think that one of the ways that's going to be important with respect to in a sense, policing this is it's going to become more democratic, more ubiquitous over time. It's not just going to be big companies that are going to be able to do this. So yes, that can allow for bad actors, but it's also going to allow for good people to, um, you know, to fight against that and constrain against that. And moreover, what I really hope for is the technology is already way beyond the deployment. And I'm not just talking about Phoenicia's now, I'm talking about everything. The technology is way beyond so far ability to execute and deploy. And where this is going in my mind is that all of this is gonna become a lot more independent. And when people's basic needs are met, um, so I'm pretty optimistic fellow, you know, if people can have good medicine, like we're working on, they can be fed. 
they can be entertained and hopefully we can stop all killing each other. Um, then, uh, you know, people are going to be a lot less interested in killing each other. You know, they're, they're at peace, they're healthy, they're pursuing interests that are fun for them or interested in them. They're taking care of their friends and their family and loved ones and whatever. And, um, hopefully, uh, it's going to be a much better world, um, because of that. I mean, a lot of problems in the world have been because people were starving uh, or had bad health care and they're desperate and they want to blame other people or they just want to take what's not theirs or whatever may be the causes for the violence and the uh, destruction. Yeah. So let's, let's talk about the company a little bit, bit more. So what's the next phase for the company? Are you trying to hire people or, or are you trying to raise money or what's, what are you, what are you trying to do? The, the thing that's aggravating to me now is, um, you know, we are limited in our funds. I would like to raise quite a bit of money, um, to accelerate things. Will is doing all of the coding himself which is ridiculous. Uh, I mean, I would like him to have a team of coders. I would like to have a team of salespeople. So instead of me uh, pursuing I would have a, uh, we still connected? Yep. Okay. Uh, that I'd have a team of salespeople that would pursue these uh, deals like uh, with Temple University and and others, and also of course Compute Power, and and so on. But um, um, we also want to get into robotic synthesis. Um, so there's a lot of things that you know we would like to do. So theoretically, you could go to the platform and do everything. You could design it and synthesize it. Uh, everything could be done uh, via the platform. One of the things that's particularly unique is. Um, we are the only ones so far as we know, and of course we should know, that have a platform that is, uh, uh, you know, autonomously operated. So it doesn't matter whether someone's buying a license or their partners or whatever, um, it can be operated um, by the scientists. Um, so other uh, companies don't work that way. They do it kind of in a black box as subcontractors um so that's very important in being able to scale this to a much bigger size so you know you're not bogged down with hundreds of scientists doing this in-house for maybe let's say 50 100 projects which a lot of these companies that kind of limits them out rather you're doing thousands of projects because of the easy usage of the platform i like to think of ourselves as um, jobsian as in steve jobs in the sense that we're constantly trying to improve our uh, user interface with respect to the platform um uh, you know uh, my understanding of the iphone was that i don't think any of the technologies were actually invented at apple but Jobs was a genius in integrating those um, technologies um, and kept pushing his team to make those um, better and better. 
Yeah, great analogy. Anyway, so so now we're going to turn a little bit to the advice section. So, um, you know, going back a long way, as long as you want, what was the best career advice or work advice you've gotten? A few things. Um, my 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 dad famously said, "A good deal is not a good deal if it's not a good deal." <laughs> so that sounds like a lot of nonsense, but um, what he was really trying to teach me is, especially younger entrepreneurs, and I do like mentoring younger entrepreneurs, is a lot of times younger entrepreneurs can get caught up in the sex appeal of a deal, and uh, you know what? If it's if it's a deal that's not going to work. It's not that sexy. It's just a deal that's going to die. So that was uh, that was really good advice. Um, I remember my brother told me once uh, that uh, the the cream always rises to the top, which was his way of saying, "Hey, don't worry about a field that you may be entering that you think is competitive, because um, you know if you're if you're real good at it, it's not going to make any difference. You're going to be able to." Uh, excel at what you're doing. Um, you know, just off the top of my head, those are two pieces of advice yeah. that certainly uh, stand out. Uh, I like those. I like those. And so when we're thinking about young people who want to be entrepreneurs, you know, obviously you'd love mentoring them. What what advice, what's, what's your best advice to give them to our listeners for entrepreneurs? One thing I try to teach uh, the guys in my group and other people that I mentored is, and this is really, really good advice. It's important. It can really accelerate a young person's career. You can ask anything you want to if you just are calm and polite. It's just any reasonable business question. And young people seem to be scared to death to ask things. And um, if the person is evasive, and they don't want to answer, they're probably wasting your time. On the other hand, if they answer you in a, in a reasonable business-like manner, they're probably someone you want to work with. And that's very, very uh, important and indicative of um, success. Um, I mean, just as an example, today, let's say I was talking to an investor, you know, uh, before I even get started, um, you know, are you requiring a fee up front? Okay. Uh, yes or no. Okay. Let's say it's no. Um, uh, are you a broker or do you write the check? What size checks do you write? Are you the decision maker or are you a, a, a bird dog for the decision maker? Um, so you kind of start out knowing, you know, what's possible. Young people don't do that. They just start running around, wasting all their energy, pitching to everybody and everything. And then they, you know, they expend all this energy. And then the person says, well, listen, um, uh, it sounds like you're doing something really exciting. I'm happy to represent you. And I need you to pay me $5,000 a month. Gee, that's great. You're a startup. You don't have $5,000 a month. Um, so, you know, it's really important for young entrepreneurs to ask basic, down-to-earth, business questions and you should expect straightforward answers and if you don't get them move on to someone that wants to talk to you in a business-like way 
Yeah, that's great advice. I mean, I think there are a lot of of uh, founders who are amazing, smart people who just don't know that much about finance. And there are a lot of people out there that will happily take your money and tell you that they're going to help you raise money. So I think that's that's a caveat emptor is a good uh, good way to think right. about it. Right. So uh, the last uh, few minutes is a lightning round where I mention different things and ask if you think they are underrated or overrated or maybe fairly rated and why. Um, so we're going to kick it off with barbecue in Mobile, Alabama. <laughs> underrated. <laughs> underrated, yeah, I bet. Well, that's, that's where you live, obviously. And then uh, how about kayak fishing? Underrated or overrated? Definitely underrated. Yeah, I mean, I like fishing off boats, but uh, kayaks sound fine. And then how about California red wines, having spent some time in California, over $100? <laughs> I, I can't even tell you. I have no idea. That's right. I, I, don't, drink, I don't drink much wine. Got it. So I, I don't, don't know. How about uh, rollerblading, underrated <laughs> or overrated? Overrated. I actually, I actually know the guy that invented roller ba- blades. <laughs> wow, that's pretty cool. I've, what's uh, is he overrated or underrated? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I hope he's alive. But um, yeah. I, I actually, I actually invented road skis, Alec. Yeah, super cool. <laughs> and um, classic Corvettes, underrated or overrated? I, I'll say underrated. That's a yeah. that's a nice car. Snorkeling next to a beach, underrated or overrated? Definitely underrated. One of the greatest pleasures in life. Walter Matthau is an actor, underrated or overrated? <laughs> Probably underrated. <laughs> How about snowboarding, underrated or overrated? <laughs> underrated. Another good uh, activity. Yeah. Peel and eat crawfish, underrated <laughs> or overrated? Uh, I don't know that one. <laughs> All right. I like crawfish. And then, uh, and then finally, the movie 2001 A Space Odyssey, underrated or overrated? Definitely underrated. One of the best films of all time. Awesome. Well, Rick, uh, thank you for having, thanks for coming on the show. This has been uh, Rick Fine, co-founder and CEO at Phoresis AI, uh, doing drug discovery. And it's been a, it's been a blast. Thanks for coming. All right, Alec, thank you very much for the opportunity. You are listening to the AI Risk Reward Podcast with your host, Alec Crawford. You can find us anywhere you listen to podcasts, for example, Apple Podcasts, production and sound engineering by Troutman Street Audio. You can find them on LinkedIn. Please like, subscribe, and comment.